Hey everybody, this is Mike Oppenheim and you are listening to Coffin Talk Interviews with the Living, a weekly podcast that explores how our views on death affect the way we live our life. And this is episode number 150. I have reserved my mother for this episode. And before I let my mom talk, I just want to say the following. I have lived all over the country. And even when I meet people who don't know me, they say I look so much like my mother that they ask if I'm her son. And that's always followed up by some huge super compliment about my mom. And as much as I wish I had like counterfactual evidence about this, pretty much everyone who's ever met my mom likes her. And she's just an awesome person. And so I'm very proud and happy to be her son. And I am excited to interview her. So mom, how's it going? Well, after that introduction, I'm like <laughs> smiling very broadly. <laughs> Well, you're awesome, and uh, you created me, and since you created me, you sort of created the show, so um, we're going to ask you questions about metaphysicality, and then maybe just also talk um, mother and son in an intimate way that people want to hear and like to hear. Okay. So we'll see where this goes. Normal first question standard is, how old are you? Where did you grow up, and what generation, if any, do you consider yourself a member of? Well, I'm 76. I grew up in Tampa, Florida. And I am definitely a baby boomer. <laughs> awesome. I agree fully with all three. So let's start with uh, a weird question. And again, I didn't plan any of these. Um, what do you think about Coffin Talk? Coffin Talk. Oh, is that what this is? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's really interesting. I think I'm, I'm very proud of you for doing it and continuing to do it. And I, it's very interesting. Um I am not a listener of podcasts, though, so, you know, I, I don't listen to every single one, um, unlike you and your brother who, you know, listen to all kinds of podcasts. Um, but I think it's it's such a fabulous idea to ask people about it, and I think I think everybody kind of thinks about it, but, but never, you know, never nails it, which is kind of interesting that you said, put it, you know, at the end, put another nail in the coffin. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I think it's a great idea. Cool. Thanks. And then what do you think about the fact that I am this weird, like 42 year old man now who writes uh, every week about philosophy and also records a podcast about death after volunteering in hospice? Does any of this surprise you? Does it seem very natural to you as a parent who observed me all these years? Um, oh, I would say it's definitely an easy, you know, evolution of your being. Um, I mean, you've always been very... Oh, what's the word? Um, you've always found it easy to deal with things that other people find difficult. And you have a tenderness and uh, empathy that I've always uh, been very proud of and happy of. And uh, so, you know, I think it's a natural segue. Cool. Just curious. I got a couple more of those kind of curious questions, but I don't know when they'll come out. I want to turn the focus more to you now, but I was curious because you're my mom and like, I don't know how the hell I got here and I have children now. So I'm watching them and I see how like nothing surprises me because everything surprises me, if that makes any sense. And I love watching that. So I just think it's cool that I got to have my mom and dad follow me through my life. I mean, I hope you both live much longer than you already have, but you're about the same age and you both have good physical and mental health and it's a pleasure to like have an adult relationship and friendship with you. Um, and, uh, that's why this podcast is sort of weird because I'm going to be asking you about dying, which is like, obviously one of my, 
you know, three or four biggest fears all my life is like my parents dying, you or my dad or both. And uh, as I get older and you get older, it becomes something I think about less, but it's probably because I'm trying to like I, I there's like a weird dance. So my first question for you is what was it like? watching your parents age and i know that your mom had alzheimer's so that's a little bit different so maybe concentrate more on your father who died pretty healthy at 92 um well i I think um i'm gonna i'm gonna interject something here sure i remember being um oh probably like maybe seven eight nine and Thinking like on big holidays with my my grandmother was very special to me, my mother's mother. Um, And I remember like feeling really, really, really sad as a child thinking that she might not be there the next Thanksgiving or the next, uh, you know, New Year's party. Things where we did, you know, I came came from a very big extended family. Um, And then... um, with my father, it was it was interesting because he lived so long. He was 92. I was 60 when he died. So I had come to grips with the fact that I was going to lose him. So it was, I started to, I guess, treasure the moments more. You know, the times we lived in separate cities. But um, when I would go to Tampa to visit him and I would leave the, you know, the house, and drive to the airport. I, I would always cry because it—it's it, always like you know, is this? But it see, it's the very—is this going to be the last time I see him? But mm-hmm. you know, up until he was ninety, I think it was just like, no, he's always—you know—it <laughs> was like he was always going to be there, you know. Um, so, um, you know, but then once somebody goes, it's like you have all the memories. And you feel you feel their influence, I guess, more than their. I don't feel their presence, but I feel their influence. And so there's there's moments that you come to treasure the memories, even though they're even though it's a it's a. I, mean, I just it just mitigates the sadness mm-hmm. uh, by having the good memories, I guess. That's cool. And so, how do you like approach? your own death, which is very different from asking what do you think is going to happen when you die? I'm saving that for a little later. So, like, how are you approaching the fact that, like, you're 76, your own father lived to be 92, you seem to be in, like, similar health, your older sister turns 80 in three days, and she's in pretty damn good health. Like, where, like, how do you see this all ending for you? <laughs> do you? Um, I've never been afraid to die, and um, when I was young, I, I guess I sort of when I was, I don't know, 12 and 13, it, it was, um, about my own death, not about other people, but it (laughs) was like, um, gosh, it, it might really be better than, than life. You know, it would be interesting. It would be, um, you know, nobody telling me what to do (laughs) kind of thing. So, you know, as a young adolescent, that was kind of it. And then I, I just never, I'm very, I've never been afraid Mm -hmm. Um, I watched my cousin, I was a young, in my young twenties and I watched my cousin who I grew up next door to die. And, you know, there were people, you know, my father was going crazy, you know, his father was pumping on him and, and I just, it's like, I just see it as a passage and I guess I've always seen it 
if I'm there, you know, as a passage. I mean, I've always felt the sadness for losing the person, but I've never felt sad that they have lost their life, if that makes sense. It's like, <clears throat> except for children, except for children, but yeah. people who have lived a life. Yeah. Um, he was 18, so, you know, and he had a muscular dystrophy. So he was he was trapped in a body that... You know, I felt like he was he was finally free. You know, he hadn't walked since he was probably three or four. Um, so I don't know. I just, um, you know, there's times when I remember with, with my friend that nobody had talked about it. And I was with her and I finally said, you know, to her daughter, I said, I don't want to mention names. I said, um, yeah. Has anybody asked her, you know, what, where she wants to be buried, what, how she wants, you know, and, and she was literally, you know, probably, a, a, she probably died within the week <clears throat> and nobody was facing it, you know, her children and her friends. And they said, no, and no. And I marched into the, I said, well, that's ridiculous. And I watched, marched into her bedroom and had the conversation with her. That it was a really good thing because they were going to put her next to her ex-husband. And she was like, no, <laughs> you know, <laughs> absolutely not. So, you know, it was a good thing. So, you know, and like with, you know, with Judy, um, when someone's, when I realize that someone's going, I'm very comfortable. Mm -hmm. I guess that's the way to say it. I'm very comfortable with, um, seeing it as a passage and helping them with that passage in any way that I can. And what about, um, this has occurred to me only recently, but like, it doesn't feel unfair that a child doesn't get to live forever with their parents. And it doesn't feel unfair that a parent passes with their child still alive. But I do feel this like bitter sweetness about the grandchild grandparent relationship because it just seems like it's unfairly short. And so like one of like the more paranoid, like, thoughts I'll have in my darker, worse moments is like this just like guilt and regret of like even introducing you and dad to my kids and, and Sam, my brother's kids. And I know that's stupid, but like, do you feel any of that on your end? Like, do you feel like a sense of like sadness that you're not going to get to see these like little midgets uh, fully bloom? No, um, because I, I think about it sometimes, like, you know, sometimes I'll think, well, I might see my oldest grandchild graduate, you know, from high school, mm -hmm. but I won't see her graduate from college, you know, and I certainly won't see, you know, the younger ones, mm -hmm. um, you know, because at my age, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really lucky if, oh my God, if I have 14 years, it would be, you know, I mean, you know, so, um, but I sometimes, you know, think about like how happy this kind of sounds weird. About how happy I would be if I were still alive. But well, part of that though, Mike, it's, it's an interesting question because it's not a question you would have asked a hundred years ago because people had their children very young. Mm -hmm. So you were a grandparent and had many more years with your grandchildren. Yeah. I've thought a lot about that. Yeah. See, I had you late and you had your children late, mm -hmm. you know, considering that, you know, my grandmother probably had her first child. She was probably, I think she was 19. Yeah. 
it's, it's you know, I had I had cousins that were, let's see, my cousin who's 90 just died. And I had others that were even older, you know, that died years ago. So in, in you know, generations ago, it didn't happen. You had a long time with that older generation. Yeah, that actually is a really salient point, and I hadn't thought about that. You also lived next door down the street. Yeah. Well, I'm staying in hellacious Phoenix, Arizona for you and dad, so you can thank me uh, after you cross to the other side. Uh, no, I'm kidding. You're thanking me all the time by babysitting. Um, but no, for real, I, I 100% would not be living here if it wasn't for the reason you just stated, which is I, I feel... Actually, I just told Alana this in the car the other day. I don't know if I feel guilty about it per se, but like when I was a teenager and in my early 20s, I just like would see you guys as little as possible and hang out with my friends. I was like obsessed with friends and I'm seeing my, my middle child, my, my daughter do this sort of like, I can already see that she's going to be like me that way. And I'm not offended by it and I get it. It's like normal, but I do think that like that led me to like in my thirties wanting to be closer and to spend more time with you and dad to like, not just give back, but to like experience the give and take. So I don't know if it feels that way to you at all, but. Uh, Well, it's, you know, it was always hard, like, when you and Sam would come home from college, say, or from when, you know, when you were living, you know, when you first leave, mm-hmm. it's, it's, like, very sad. And so, you know, but then as you're gone a long time, you know, you just, it's like, it's like you just, you just wait for the next time, but you're not pining away for it, I guess is the way to say it. You know, it's, it's so you know it'll happen. But... The other thing is that when, like, you do live here, it's totally different. I mean, my relationship with your daughter will be very different than the other grandchildren mm-hmm. yeah. because, you know, I, it, it's you. You just you just watching somebody change and grow. You're watching the, you you know, you're watching all the little moments that you don't have a chance to. You know, and FaceTime is wonderful. Um, but it doesn't replace that, you know, an hour here, an hour there, you know, and overnight a babysitting, you know, it's just different. Yeah. So for that, I'm very grateful that you brave the heat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's worth it. Um, but it is interesting to me because it's like, I don't know. Yeah, it's just interesting. Um, and uh, okay, so kind of on the same, it's a, a little bit of a different question than one I asked earlier, which was about like, how do you see this all ending? If your um, health continues to air quotes, deteriorate at the same rate it it has and always will, meaning, like, you know, you've had multiple knee surgeries and, like, you know, it's harder to, like, lose weight and, like, everything's just a little harder every day and and you talk about that and, like, maybe you get more tired and stuff. But with that said, you're still healthy enough that you can exercise and your mental health is clear and sharp and you do the crossword and people can tell from this interview. So I'm curious, if if everything kind of stayed more or less the same, would you still want it to end at some point or would you just be like, nah, I'll, I'll totally keep living in this state for as many years as I get? Oh gosh. That's an interesting question. Um, Hmm. Hey everyone. If you're a fan of the show, please head over to Mikeyop.com and click the subscribe button. It's the best way to support us and it's free. That's M I K E Y O P P.com. Thanks. I think, well, one thing is if my mind goes, I don't want to live. But I'm, I'm saying assume it does. Assume your mind stays. That's what I'm asking. Assuming my mind is that I'm not bedridden, that I, and I'm not, uh, I don't want to see a wheelchair because I could be happy in a wheelchair. 
but you know, I don't want to be wetting myself and yeah, being yeah. in. I just I don't want to be an invalid. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be. I don't want to be. I don't want to have to rely on someone to take care of me. Um, you know, I'm happy to move slower. I'm happy to, you know, relax some of my, you know, crazy OCD. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I'm not, you know, I, I'm, I want to be independent. So I guess I just have to see, you know, and if my mind were to go or start to go, I would really, you know, quickly make plans for, you know, making sure that I wasn't a burden to somebody and making sure that um, I could die when the time came. You know, I'm not sure I would do assisted suicide, but it it would be very tempting. And, you know, so if I knew that I was going to lose my mind, I might do that. If I knew that, that in a year I would not know you, I would try to end my life before that year, before that happened. Or before I was sitting in a wheelchair in a nursing home and I couldn't eat and somebody had to change my diapers. I mean, that's, to me, you know, death is much preferable. <laughs> Whatever happens on the other side, it's got to be better than, you know. No, I'm, I'm with you. I did hospice. I literally did what you just described with, like, I mean, hundreds of people. So, yeah. I mean, I remember, like, putting my hand in front of a patient's mouth so that she wouldn't keep spitting up her eggs because like we had to have her eat because if we don't get her to eat, we're not fulfilling like the tenant of hospice. And I remember just thinking like, this feels cruel, but her family asked for this. And like, I can't, you know, I don't know what her ethical religious standards are and stuff. So it's, it's a hospice is a very strange concept in any culture but i think in america it's like extra complicated okay i think this is a good time i'm not trying to rush you or anything but i think this is actually a good time to ask the quintessential podcast question which you've had you haven't listened to all 149 episodes before you but you've listened to at least like 50 so i'm sure you've thought about this uh what do you think happens when you die well i have because i have listened to them and it's an interesting thing because in my life i have vacillated (laughs) what came to my mind at the end of my mental (laughs) exercises with it. I have vacillated to it's a nothingness to, you know, rotting in the ground or burning to thinking that maybe I just become, you know, a cell in the ocean or whatever, you know, merge. Um, To thinking that maybe if I was enlightened, there would be something, you know, great. Uh, I, you know, so it's really funny because it it depends what day you're interviewing me, what I might say, I think happens after you die. I hope that, um, I hope that whatever it is that it's, and and I, I do think that whatever it is, it's peaceful, you know, that at least the transition, the passage can be for most people, and that's what I would hope for me that the passage is peaceful and then whatever happens happens. And, um, you know, I'm as a friend of mine who was dying and someone asked her, you know, what do you want to come back as? Cause she did believe in reincarnation, but she also believed in, you know, atonement and self-realization. And she said, Oh my God, I hope I don't come back. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, that I guess I would say I hope I don't come back. Um, 
That's very um, funny. You know, and then sometimes I feel like um, that I do get messages from the other side from people. And so that makes me wonder, mm-hmm. you know, and I know there's such things as ghosts. So that really then makes me wonder. So I'm all over the map with it, Mike. I yeah. think that's really, um, it's, it's, um, but in one sense, I mean, it's, it's an intellectual curiosity for me, but it's not, it's not a, uh, spiritual angst kind of thing. It's just more, gosh, I wonder what it's like. Yeah. You know, I wonder what it'll be like. I wonder if, you know, you know, the wind that came when, de- when we buried my father, it was a very hot, still day in the cemetery in Florida in June. And when the last, you know, he had the horns because he was military and he had everything. Anyway, when everything had finished and they were going to lower the casket and we're sitting there, all of a sudden this big wind just came through the tent, you know, the opening. And we just looked at each other. Well, Sam was there and my sister. And it was like, my thought was his spirit has left. Yeah. You know, that was just my feeling. No, that's so beautiful. Yeah. So so whatever happens, I think that, I think it's okay. I guess that's the way. I, I just think it's okay. And that, you know, my life has been so blessed. I just think that whatever happens will be a blessing. You know, we'll be just, just another, it's just taking another step in a different direction. That's cool. And I think it's funny because uh, I'm probably going to title this episode, I Have Vacillated. Because you haven't just vacillated with like, what do you think is going to happen when you die? You've also vacillated immensely in like your habits and lifestyle and choices. So uh, for people listening, my mother was, I guess, technically raised Methodist. Um, but I don't think you were practicing by the time you were a teenager and for sure when you were in college. And- oh, wait, wait, wait. You don't know, Mike. You want to know? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Go, go. <laughs> okay. So I was born and baptized in a Methodist church. I was um, very involved in in um, Methodist youth, and um, but there was a point where I became atheist, agnostic, like around the time that I was thinking about death, twelve, thirteen, you know, early teens, and then at eighteen, I even taught Sunday school, <laughs> and then by the time I was twenty-one. I was back to thinking that, you know, this was all just horsewash. And I actually wrote a letter to the Methodist Church to take me off their rolls. That was the only way you could not be Methodist. Um, and then I started, you know, more with the spiritual path. And then, um, then I, you know, became more with the Vedic traditions. And then I converted, and I spent a year with Rabbi Davis <laughs> converting to Judaism, which felt natural because I'd always had trouble with the, the concept of Jesus being someone that was a meaty between me and, you know, a deity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had always, even when I was young, I had Catholic friends and I thought, you know, why do you need to pray to Mary? Just pray to God. And that was the same way. So becoming Jewish was it was kind of a relief that it's just me and my God, you know. Um, and now I'm somewhere where all man-made religions just, they're man-made. <laughs> and I just think that, you know, I have a very 
kind of a spiritual side I have, which I think I've always had, but it's, it's personal, you know, and I, I don't think I actually believe in a personal God. Yeah. And so I try to explain to people, like my parents like raised me with like a picture on the wall of like this thing, like a quote from Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. But then like my mom also told me to like say a prayer when I heard an ambulance and then like, it's just, it, it was, everything was all over the place. And then like, you guys moved to this like small town in Iowa where a bunch of other meditators of your branch of meditation, uh, transcendental meditation lived. And then like one day I, I remember flying home to visit you guys and like you weren't eating mushrooms and you were wearing like shirts of colors on certain weekdays and stuff. And then at the point where I was like about to say my parents are in a cult, this is like really weird. It's a friendly cult and they don't do anything harmful, but they're in a cult. You pretty much like, just bought a house in Phoenix and moved here, <laughs> which is like awesome. <laughs> and then like throughout my experiences with like my intuitive development work and like just everything with my son and the, the divorce and stuff. And like your experiences with like being hospitalized on Thanksgiving a couple of years ago, I just feel like, like I said, you vacillated a lot. And, um, and all that leads me to just kind of wonder, like, was there a, a point to any of it or was it just all fun and like what do you what do you think now um like like meaning like being methodist being jewish being a transcendental meditator you know like yeah i mean i think it i think that that i think it all goes to show that all this is one all this is that because it doesn't matter you know how you it's all very personal and doesn't matter how you come you know and and I guess what's happened is that everything that was organized about um, contemplation and, and a universal God or, you know, a creator, I think that it's interesting to see how all the different isms have come about. But I think the core is there, and I think I've always had the core, mm. but it doesn't translate into organized anything. And I guess that's what really, you know, hit me when we when we left Fairfield is that I no longer wanted to. I just want to do what I want to do in terms of, of of spirituality. Yeah, no, I think that's great, and I feel I'm so thankful that you didn't, you and Dad both didn't pressure me or Sam to do anything, and I've always felt free to walk my walk and have my philosophy, and and also to vacillate, which is to me very therapeutic. Yeah. Now I have some random questions that I wrote ahead of time because I want to make sure I get to ask them in case we have to go. What was your uh, hardest triumph in your life? Meaning like a thing you wanted to quit, almost did quit or could have quit, but didn't. And then you were eventually, you triumphed. Mm, something I wanted to quit. Um, I don't know, Mike. Something I wanted to quit, like smoking? I, I don't know. I, I can't answer it for it. I just know like <laughs> you, you did have a divorce before you met dad. Yeah, I don't know. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um... Well, then I guess that would be that as devastating as my first divorce was. I mean, he was, you know, I guess we were high school sweethearts broke up and then, you know, so that was very hard. But I was always grateful that that fork in the road ended up where I am, mm -hmm. where I was, you know, afterwards. Um, so that was probably, you know, the hardest thing for me. I was um, how old was I? I don't know. Like I was 21 when I got married, so I was probably like 24. You know, it wasn't long. Um, but you know, that's why when I meet someone young who's 
devastated by something. It's like, you know, the sun will come out tomorrow. I mean, you just never know, but there's always, I feel there's always hope that, you know, I used to tell you that when God closes a door, he opens a window or when he closes a window, he opens a door. Um, but see there, I'm referencing God. <laughs> I know, this is about to make so much fun of you. I was like, hold back, Mike, this is your mom, and you're on a podcast. If we were not recording, I would have just made so much fun. Oh, the, the God that told you to be Jewish and Methodist and moved to Iowa? No. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I mean, but I think when, okay, let's just say that when, when the universe, you know, when the universe, <laughs> like slams the door in your face. Mm-hmm. You don't know that in a week or a year that like that, you know, the sun's going to come out and that like, it's just going to be, you know, I mean, I once talked somebody out of suicide and she went on to meet someone, you know, be ex- incredibly happy, have children for, for the most part, most people will come out to, to find, you know, joy again. Yeah. Um, and so I, I have a feeling you're not going to have an answer to this one either, but it is something I like to ask people I'm close enough to ask. I would never ask a stranger this because it's too hard. But um, if you have any, what is your biggest regret? (laughs) My biggest regret? Um, Having children. (laughs) 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 Now you walk into that one, Mike. Um, My biggest regret is, let me think. I don't, I don't have a lot of regrets. I mean, I guess because I vacillate so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had a feeling you wouldn't because I have none. So, well, then let me ask, let me ask kind of a loaded question, but I think my audience would like to hear it. And I actually constantly ruminate on this about you and dad with, with much guilt. Um, how hard was it? And what was it like watching me um, lose my son to a, an international abduction the way I did? So meaning like, the divorce, that's like something a lot of parents have to watch their kids go through because 50% of people get divorced. But what happened to me was absurd. And like, while possibly predictable by not only your husband, but other people, uh, it still is like out there and weird and, and just awful. So I'm just curious, like, was that like hard? What was that like? Well, the, the hardest thing was watching you suffer. Yeah. You know, watching a child go through something that you can do nothing about is one of the hardest things in life. Or watching somebody you love, anybody, you know, go through something that, you know, you can't cook for them, you can't give them money, you can't, you know, there's just nothing you can do. That's the hardest thing. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And I just wanted to ask it because I feel like it's worth people hearing because I think to me as a parent, that's like my, it's not a fear because it's like silly for me to paint it that way, but it's the thing, you know, I just like, I know that there's going to be like stumbles in all my kids' life and I'm going to have to watch some of them without being able to help and others I'll try to help. But yeah, it, it always renders me sad and and somewhat guilty when I think about you and dad. Um, And I keep mentioning dad just because I think it's very important that I don't favor you in like that circumstance like that. Right. No. Yeah. But also speaking of dad, this is my uh, meanest and weirdest question. And it's going to be close to the last one I ask. Um, So uh, I know my dad will not care about how I phrase this or how I ask this, but it's uh, potentially hard and embarrassing for you. Um, growing up, my dad is awesome and I love him, but he also has a propensity to intentionally try to like rattle people, especially at a dinner table about like their opinions and stuff. And so he has many times in my life said something that was like, not just a faux pas, but like very embarrassing. And it was like awkward for me. 
And uh, I know as his wife, you've probably had to deal with many more than I ever saw, especially like when you're out and all of you and your friends are drinking and stuff in your roaring 30s and 40s. So I'm just curious, what was it like to stay married to an air quotes embarrassing at times husband? What is that like? Well, part of it is I learned to deal with my mother who had Alzheimer's and you learn that you're not responsible for that other person, that you're not the one dressing crazy as my mother or doing something or, and you're not the one at the dinner table being an asshole. (laughs) You know, you just kind of pull away, but also there were times when, you know, there were, we had certain friends that were like very liberal, you know, being in the Bay area. And I would just like, he'd start and I'd go, Oh no, he's liberal baiting again. <laughs> you know, and it just takes the you know, that even if he goes on, it's like it's understood. And the other thing is I think like close friends and most people really understand that a lot of the times it's like an intellectual thing for him. Yeah. It's like it's like it's like let me see how much I can, you know, get away with or how much I can uh you know, rattle the the cage, yeah. you know, it's not, I mean, he'll, you know, because, you know, he'll, he'll say things that, you know, he doesn't believe. Yeah. Or at least I know that he doesn't really <laughs> believe that way. Um, but he will do it just, you know, for the, kind of for the hell of it. Yeah, no, and it's funny because I'm now married to someone who is capable of doing the same thing, but not intentionally, which is very different. But her mother, who will probably listen to this, and I will ask her when she eventually comes on the show directly to her face about this. So if you are listening, of course, I am thinking of you as I say this. But she does uh, similar things, and it's so funny to, like, see that in real time because it's just, like, interesting. And then she tells me that her husband used to do it the same way Dad does, so I can just see, like the many layers of this. And I think full circle, the reason I asked it is that um, I still have trouble with that maxim, that lesson that you've learned, which is like the people you're friends with and the people you're really close with, they don't actually represent you. And like, I would never walk away from a friendship or a relationship with someone because of like these kind of things. But I've seen people like encourage people to and stuff like that. So that's kind of why I asked. Cause I didn't know if maybe you ever had like a girlfriend take you aside and be like, you shouldn't stay with him. He's blah, blah, blah. Cause, and again, just to be fair to my dad, my dad doesn't ever say anything like directly actually bigoted or harmful. It's more that he just likes to like ask provocative questions and stuff to people. So I just want to make sure I'm not giving the wrong impression of my dad to anyone listening. Right. Well, the other thing is I grew up also with my father who would, <laughs> he would embarrass me in different ways. So you also learn, I learned, I mean, I remember we were, we were in, um, Antoine's in, um, New Orleans. And I guess I, I probably was about 12 and my cousin had taken us there. It's a very famous restaurant. And, uh, the way where we finished, my cousin was treating us and, um, when we're leaving, the waiter comes up and taps my father on the shoulder and says, excuse me, sir, but, you know, I think you have one of our dishes in your pocket. <laughs> and he had, like, you know, a bread plate or something. He used to take, you know, he would take, he, had, he was a big man, you know, and yeah. so he had big pockets. And he would take ashtrays and, you know, like a, a saucer or stuff. And, you know, we'd all just get so embarrassed. That's so funny. So I grew up, I grew up learning to, you know, just roll my eyes. Yeah, no, that's cool. I forgot about memory. 
<laughs> that is so funny. And especially because, like, I knew him from the time I was, like, a little tiny kid, and he still had, like, some of that in him. And uh, also, I just, like, hearing his stories about growing up, like, I don't know if it's, like, poverty, poverty, but, you know, just, like, a first generation back in the day, like, taking, you know, he, I think he had a middle school education until after World War II when he used the bill but uh, uh yeah no they were yeah. very poor very yeah, poor yeah, so um, you know he grew, he and my mother both grew up you know poor you know depression yeah we're at the end of the interview i've asked most of all my embarrassing questions um and you've done an amazing job and you are interesting because i know you were afraid you wouldn't be um so before <laughs> i let you have the floor at the very end of the interview i just would like to ask is there anything about me that you think is important for my audience to know that you wish I would like say or write about or haven't ever mentioned or anything like that? Um, I think people should know what a big heart you have. You just, you, you, you really, uh, and you have incredible intuition and, uh, you know, you have, you, when you say, when you say be kind or love, it's, it's not, you're not just saying the word. Oh, that's how you feel, and that's how you live. Thanks, Mom. That was really sweet. I was expecting something sarcastic and funny, so that was that took me by surprise. <laughs> Remember, I'm not the funny one. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I just, uh, yeah. So, um, well, God, Mom, this has been amazing. I love you, and I could talk to you. I will talk to you forever. We're going to talk after this, as a matter of fact, because my mom is still my main editor. Um, actually, you and Alana are pretty much tied at this point, but my mom has edited every single one of my novels, and not just, like, like partially or half-heartedly i mean just to an amazing extent and you uh, are now editing a piece for me that i'm going to publish tomorrow and so my point is just i want to thank you and say how much i love you before i give you the floor so uh what would you like to tell our audience oh gosh um live life love life but don't be afraid of what's going to happen tomorrow what's going to happen next week or what's going to happen when you know you take your last breath just you know, love and live and be true to yourself. I love it. I love it. I love it. And I will paraphrase you for the millionth time uh, from your lips to God's ears. So everyone <laughs> listening at home. Well, that was your, that was your Nana, Alice. Oh, that's sweet. Who my, my little daughter's named after. Everyone listening at home, as always, if you want to support this podcast, head over to MikeyOp.com where you can sign up for the premium subscription, which my mom signed up for. So why didn't you? <laughs> and um, yeah, for everyone listening, I have a big heart and I'm not lying or full of shit when I tell you to be kind and love because I love my mom and I love you and I love everyone who loves everything on earth and wants to stay here and make it a better place. And I love the people who don't, even though that sounds weird. And that's how we're going to end it. So thank you everyone for tuning in for another special episode of Coffin Talk, episode number 150. My name is Mike Oppenheim. You've been listening to my mom, Dina Oppenheim, and we will see you soon. Walking alone Walking alone When I hear this song And I'm walking to you And you see that I do and I see that you see me, and I see you hear this tune, and I feel that you're near me, and I sing you while the moon, and then I see that you see me, and I see you hear this tune, and I feel that you're near me, and I sing you are my moon. You are the